Margaret Woodbury Strong was born into a family of wealthy Victorian collectors. As she traveled the world, she herself grew fond of collecting things. In her case, she was partial to dolls. As Margaret became an adult, she never grew out of her need to collect them, adding doll houses and other toys to the mix. At one point in her life, she amassed a collection of over 300,000 items, and she showed them off at her home, which she called the Museum of Fascination. When Margaret died in 1969, she left her collection and her family's wealth to a museum corporation, which would later found the museum that would eventually be called The Strong, the world's largest museum dedicated solely to play. Today, we're all going to learn about The Strong, we'll look at the life of Margaret Woodbury Strong, we'll look at her collection, and we'll tour the museum that came of it. So stick around and join us as we learn to play on yet another trip down memory card lane. afternoon and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 151st episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we'll tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game, a console, a person, and so on and so forth. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what gave back to the world in its legacy. Today, we're all going to learn about absolutely none of those. Not a single thing that I normally list. No games, no console, no technology, nada. So I guess we're not on format today. No, ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to learn about The Strong, an interactive museum based in Rochester, New York. Why The Strong, you ask? We'll stick around and find out. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who fancies himself a steward of an educational institution himself. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, what can people come and learn in your institution? Well, Dave, how to be. They can learn how to be. Exactly. Nice and easy. The doobie like that sometimes. It absolutely doobie, Dave. Doobie, doobie, do. Doobie, doobie, do. <laughs> what have you been playing? Well, Dave, this week has seen some Rocket League, some RuneScape, a little bit of Construction Simulator, and um, I feel like that's it. Yeah, just just a just those small list this week. How about yourself? I don't think we played Rocket League last week. Nope, we did not. And I can't recall a single video game that I have played at all. It may be the first time ever I have absolutely nothing. I have nothing. I haven't played video games. That's uh, a week that happens sometimes. It's not often, but hey, you know, sometimes life just gets busy. Well, I guess it's it's very apropos considering that we're not doing a video game topic today. Apropos indeed, Dave. So, The Strong. Ever heard of it before? I could not say that I have, no. It's a museum. I mean, I, I gathered that much. You like museums? Depends on the museum. Some are cool. Some aren't. I think this one will be right up your alley. I think. Well, let's, let's find out about it because... Uh, I don't know a damn thing. Margaret Woodbury was born in 1897 as the only child of John Charles Woodbury and Adlis Motley Woodbury, who were wealthy Victorian collectors. Her father, John Charles Woodbury, collected coins and recorded life events in scrapbooks. Her mother, Alice Motley Woodbury, collected 19th century Japanese objects to art. There was even an aunt in the family that collected book plates. Book plates are cool. Margaret's maternal grandfather owned a successful flour milling business, while her paternal grandfather made a fortune in the buggy whip industry. So this family has money. Ah, uh, yeah, seeming so. 
To their credit, the Woodburys themselves were early investors in the Eastman Kodak Company, so as George Eastman's wealth grew, so too did theirs. So needless to say, Margaret grew up surrounded by luxury. Adults were everywhere, but rarely she was around children her own age. So she turned to dolls and miniatures to keep her company. Her parents had a passion for traveling. So Margaret was lucky enough to see most of the world before she was a teenager. On one trip, she visited the beaches of Hawaii played with dolls in a Japanese tea house, rode an elephant in Ceylon, and toured the waterfronts of Shanghai, Hong Kong, and Canton. Not Canton, Michigan, either. Ah, damn. Like, you know, where Cantonese people come from. Oh, so from Canton, Michigan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my bad. I was wrong. So she, she, you know, grew up silver spoon in her mouth, right? I mean... I guess that's a negative connotation coming from someone who doesn't have money, but she was born into it and she had all the luxuries of wealth. Fair to say? Yeah. As an adult looking back on her travels, Margaret wrote that she was allowed to carry a small bag to put her dolls and toys in and to add anything she acquired on the trips. Consequently, this is where her fondness for small objects grew. On these trips, as well as at home, the Woodburys would often take her to museums, plays, theater programs, and so on and so forth. So she was cultured as well. As a child, Margaret was also very athletic. She would later become an accomplished bowler and golfer. Hey! Nice. I know. Good right? sports. Good sports. On September 9th, 1920, at the age of 23, Margaret married Homer Strong. That's a name, huh? A little bit. Homer's a Homer's such a classic name. No one uses it anymore thanks to Homer Simpson, who made it less than a classic name. But Homer's like classic, like Homer and the Odyssey, you know? Yeah, the Iliad, you know? Okay, yeah, got it. Yeah. Way to one-up my literary reference with the same literary reference. You know it. <laughs> <laughs> Homer Strong was an attorney who was 20 years older than she was. And like I said, they they married in uh, 1920. She was 23. He was 43. God, that's weird to think about being in that ballpark. A year later, in October of 1921, they had a child, Barbara. Barbara was also gifted all the luxury of wealth. She grew up going to an all-girls school, just little private college all these great educational endeavors she was able to travel with her parents she was athletic like her mother accomplished in multiple uh competitive sports and during these years margaret was no slouch she focused her attention on her family and the social circles that came from being a family at that time in these you know in this wealthy community she was into golf she was into gardening she hosted a garden club and garden parties. She really liked gardening, I guess. Uh, and she was into competitive flower arranging. And she was good at all this, too. She won golf tournaments. She was recognized for her flower arrangements. They earned her a blue ribbon at the International Flower Show in New York City in 1939. And that came with an invitation to exhibit her flower arranging at the World's Fair of 1939. So that's a pretty special accomplishment. Despite having all the luxuries in life, her daughter Barbara's health failed in 1946, and she passed away at the age of 24. Twelve years later, I know, doesn't that suck to have all the... It just goes... I mean, I, you know, they joke around money isn't everything, but you just never know. She had all the luxuries in life. I mean, literally, money was not an option for this family at all. You know, they lived in this big mansion on 50 acres and they never wanted for absolutely anything thanks to their investments. And still, this poor girl, you know, died at the age of 24. Twelve years later, in 1958, Margaret's husband Homer died. Well, shit. I know, right? So she's left all alone. Um, she's left all alone. You know, Barbara was... She, 
Barbara was their only child, so now she's just left all alone. Now, in the meantime, she had been collecting dolls, doll houses, and miniatures. She started storing them in far wings of the house, and as her collection grew, they built on more wings of the house. At one point, they started publicly showing the collection. The first ever public showing of Mrs. Homer Strong's world-famous collection of Dow houses was presented by the Rochester Historical Society at Mrs. Strong's residence from May 16th to May 25th of 1958, just months before her husband had passed away. They charged a dollar for admission, Rob. It was a, it was a, it was great. After Homer's death, she turned her attention and wealth almost entirely to collecting. By the 1960s, these collecting interests were said to have ranged so wildly that she had amassed more than 22,000 dolls alongside an endless number of middle-class American household objects spread across 50 different categories. All in all, at this point, there was said to be somewhere around 300,000 items in her collection. I don't know where I, I I barely have enough room for like a dozen board games in my closet. I can't even imagine. No, I that's in I most know, cases, man. this feels I, like hoarding. I, uh, <laughs> so I was I, about I mean, to make a joke about dad. <laughs> it, it, it's hoarding, but it, she's she's made it profitable. No, I mean, not. I, that's not I, we don't know that that's not oh, even true that's fair that's yeah, fair that's not even a consideration i mean she doesn't I mean, need people the money. are people are charged are being charged to see this though like yeah but i bet you're I, I i i don't know this for sure but i venture a bet that that money was going entirely to the historical society and she wasn't taking any of it well that's not to say that i'm just saying that you know most people can't collect thousands of things and get paid for people to come see them because most of the time they could just consider hoarders. But when you have money, you can be a hoarder of nice things and people want to see nice things. True enough. Very true. In this case, dolls, doll houses, miniatures, all the creepy stuff in life. Nowadays we have horror movies about there. There'd be a horror. Someone should make a horror movie. Someone should make a horror movie based on this of, of that. Just in that house. Just dollhouses, houses like you're in Mrs. Strong's world famous collection of doll houses and like the Annabelle dolls in the middle of it. It'd be the best. Annabelle Is, movie isn't ever. that like how Annabelle was like she was in a room full of other dolls? And... Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how do we know it wasn't based on this? We don't. Yeah. Mm, this could maybe be where Chucky, conspiracy this could theory. Be where, this could be where Chucky comes from. Oh, there you go. Maybe all the creepy dolls that we know of all derived from this this uh, this museum. We on to something. So 50 different categories, 300,000 items. The majority of these categories were related to play in some way, shape or form. You know, dolls and miniatures and children's toys and board games. And that was her thing. She was into playing, but she was particularly known for her collection of dolls and toys. She, like I said, put it in wings of the Manson and then built on extra wings. They lived in this really beautiful mansion in Pittsburgh, New York called the twin beaches uh, residence. And it sat on 50 acres, had beautifully landscaped gardens. I mean, it was just your, you know, your wealth of the time, really beautiful. And, and they invited people in to see this as we know. In 1968, she obtained a provisional charter from the New York State Board of Regents for the Margaret Woodbury Strong Museum of Fascination. Now, the Museum of Fascination was a name that she took from the way guests often described her, the way guests described her collections. They were into the objects fascinated them. It's a good name. Let's be honest. The Museum of Fascination is a good name. I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's definitely a, a fascinating name. Okay. All right. Unfortunately, Margaret died in her sleep on July 17th, 1969 at the age of 72. So a year later, after she got the charter for the museum, she died in her sleep. At the time, 
she was the single largest individual shareholder of Kodak stock. And her like wealth was the camera like Kodak, the camera Kodak. Yes. OK, interesting. Yes. Remember, her parents bought it and their wealth was tied to it. Yeah, I guess that makes sense that she would have held on to that. She held on to it and she was the largest shareholder of Kodak stock when she died in 1969. So that's uh, quite a long time to have be the largest stockholder. I wonder if she invested more into it as she grew. I I don't know the answer to I'd that. I'd have to imagine so. I mean, that's just yeah. that's a lot of time to have that. But anywho. So at the time of her death, because of this, her wealth was estimated to be over $77 million. Yowzes. It's a lot of money for 1969. Yeah, now that that's a lot of more money than for now. Most of us will see ever. <laughs> and in her will, she left her collections and most of her wealth to a museum corporation and entrusted it to determine how to best use her collections to continue the Museum of Fascination. But do you know what else is fascinating, listeners? Podcasting. Have you ever wanted to start your own podcast? Are you a podcaster that's tired of dealing with technical headaches during your recordings? We have a perfect solution for you. That's right, Dave. Zencaster is the ultimate podcasting tool that will revolutionize your recording experience. Zencaster is a cloud-based platform designed to make podcast recording a breeze. With its user-friendly interface and powerful features, you'll wonder how you ever podcasted without it. And here's the best part. We've got an exclusive offer just for our listeners. By going to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and using promo code MemoryCardLane, you'll get a fantastic 30% off the first month of any Zencaster plan. That's an incredible deal, Rob. With Zencaster, you can record your podcast remotely with crystal clear audio. Say goodbye to unreliable Skype calls, Discord bots, and patchy connections. Zencaster records each guest locally, ensuring pristine audio every single time. And then it uploads it to the main server. And not only that, Zencaster takes care of automatic post-production tasks too. It can automatically split tracks, remove background noise, and even mix your audio. You're going to save hours of editing time. And if you're worried about compatibility, fear not. Zencaster can integrate with popular podcasting tools and, st- and cloud storage like Dropbox, Google Drive, and you can even download the audio and import it into your favorite audio editing software if you'd like to edit it yourself. It's designed to fit right into any podcasting workflow. Plus, Zencaster offers backup recordings and real-time live editing collaboration. You can have peace of mind knowing that your recordings are safe even if something unexpected happens. So if you were thinking about starting your own podcast or changing over to another podcast hosting company, why wait? Level up your podcasting game with Zencaster today. Just head over to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and sign up for any plan that suits your needs. If you use our promo code MemoryCardLane at checkout, you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster hosting plan. That's right, Dave. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Zencaster will transform your podcasting experience, making it smoother and more professional than ever before. Remember, visit Zencaster.com, that's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com, forward slash pricing, and use our promo code MemoryCardLane for 30% off your first month of any Zencaster, Zencaster plan. Start your foundation for a creative future today. And speaking of foundations, Rob, Margaret Woodbury had left her wealth, everything, $77 million and a collection of 300,000 pieces to a museum corporation, you know? Okay. And they spent 13 years planning. So in 1982, the Margaret Woodbury Strong Museum opened to the public. It is located at One Manhattan Square in Rochester, New York. Now, at first, for whatever reason, the choice of collection was more geared towards American industrialization and and like commercial aspects. But as time went on and 
you know, they they did market research and 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 so on and so forth. They changed and evolved and slowly but surely the museum became an idea that was closer to what Margaret Strong intended. You know, she had collected 300,000 items that were mostly geared towards play and that was what it needed to be you know in 2002 it being the museum corporation acquired the national toy hall of fame and it renamed itself the strong national museum of play that renaming happened in 2006 by 2010 it had partnered up with four other organizations that were all related to play and they rebranded themselves as a group called the Strong. That's what the building is called nowadays. The museum is called the Strong, or institution is called the Strong. Uh, and it became the Strong in 2010. And that is our topic for today. So let's talk about the Strong. And then let's find out why we're talking about the Strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dave, mm-hmm. enlighten us, because I'm confused. It's a cool topic, but not our normal one. It's our normal one. For sure, it's our normal one. We, we talk about playing games all the time. It's all about play. Okay, when you put it that way. <laughs> God so damn the, it. So the Strong Museum of Play is the only collections-based museum in the world, in the world, dedicated solely to the study of play. It has all the interactive characteristics of a children's museum, And that makes it the second largest children's museum, uh, or I mean, if you want to call it that, it's the second largest museum of that specific type of an interactive museum in the whole United States. What's the first? I don't know. And you know what? (laughs) When I wrote that line down, I knew knew that you were going. I knew it. (laughs) Every time. I knew it. And I made a mental note like, um, I, I made... Uh, made a mental note. I should find that out because Rob's going to ask me that damn question. According to um, a quick Wikipedia, the Children's Museum of Indianapolis is actually the world's largest children's museum. So the world's largest. Yes. Now, um, I can kind of answer this. I Where did I put it? Where did I put it? Where did I put it? I don't think I put it. If I'm not mistaken, the Strong Museum is like 290,000 square feet of, of uh, exhibits. And the Children's Museum of Indianapolis is 472,000 square feet. Ooh, damn. Hold on. Let me see if I was right about the Strong size. That is a lot of square footage of interactive activities. Yes, the strong is 282,000 square feet. Yep, 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 yep. Yep. Sure Ooh, is. That's That'd crazy. Be cool. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. The museum's exhibits at the strong are immersively themed for video games, storybooks, television shows, education, nature, history, comic books, carousels, train rides, just anything related to children's lifestyles and play. Sounds like something I want to do. That's what I'm saying. So I I thought today that it would be fun for us to take a look at some of the more notable exhibits at the Strong. So we're going to spend some time uh, taking a museum tour. Now, you can go right on the Strong's website. To be fair, it's it's online. And um, yeah, it has a lot of really fun stuff. The website is called the Museum of Play.org. Uh, you can actually view some of their collections. There are all sorts of collections online. The Library of Play collection. There's an International Center for the History of Electronic Games, and that collection is online. You can pull up a video game history timeline. Um, so there's a whole a lot of stuff. They have video game collections that you can check out, which is super cool. Um, But like I said, there are a bunch of exhibits, and I thought it'd be fun to take a look at some of the exhibits. So if you're a children and you're into play, you can enter the world of the Bernstein Bears. Uh, There's an exhibit called Down a Sunny Dirt Road, where you can Um, spend a day. It's Berenstein, Dave. Berenstein. Let's let's be honest. This is a Mandela effect. It is, yeah. So the Berenstein Bears. Mm, There you go. 
You can actually visit Bear Country. You can Ooh. give big bear hugs to life-size sculptures of Mama, Papa, Brother, and Sister Bear. You can walk down Bear Country Main Street where a honeypot of exciting activities awaits you inside stores and businesses that are inspired by the books, such as serving up lunch at the Bear Family Restaurant. You can also visit a barn, barnyard, and fruit and vegetable stand at Farmer Ben's Farm. So enjoy some time at um, enjoy some time there, right? Yeah, sounds like quite a bit to do with the Berenstein Bears. Berenstein Bears. Berenstein, Berenstein, Berenstein. We're all wrong. Hey, Rob. Hey, Dave. Can you tell me how to get to Sesame Street? Uh, I I can't. No. Visit the Strong. You can step into the world's most famous neighborhood at the Strong Museum. You can travel through five delightful decades of iconic Sesame Street children's stuff. Good one. (laughs) There are dozens of interactive components that invite families to explore concepts about letters, words, numbers, inclusion, and diversity. You can say hello to Big Bird. You can visit with Elmo, Dorothy, and Mr. Noodle. I don't know who Mr. Noodle is. They don't have the count. You can sit on the famous 123 Sesame Street stoop. That'd be kind of cool, honestly. I'd feel like a kid again. You are a kid. You can cook a meal. Thanks. Glance over that. <laughs> you can cook a meal in the Cookie Monster foodie truck. Oh, okay. That's that's in. I'm in. Yep. Right? Right? I want to go just for that. There's a exhibit called Bill Drive Go. You can put your imagination into motion and zoom, sail, or fly into the Build, Drive, Go exhibit to explore the history of vehicles of all sorts, from trucks and trains to planes and boats, through three centuries of American history. You can stop for a picture at an oversized traffic light. You can climb into a dump truck to manipulate the levers and controls. What? Right? That sounds so cool. You can create skyscrapers and other towering structures with oversized blocks in the big build area. Let's be honest, this sounds like our museum. Honestly, I'm, I'm think- I, I want to hear some more about this, but I'm, I'm thinking might have to go. There's a exhibit for American comic book heroes. You can go hands-on at Superpower School where everyone becomes a superhero. And the superpowers you can get, super strength. You can step into a laboratory and absorb gamma rays in order to pick up a massively heavy object. Ooh, we can be like the Hulk. You can get super memory, observe a series of, fla- series of flashing lights, and repeat the cr- correct sequences so you can play Simon Says. Uh, mm. There's super balance. You can walk across a steel beam high above the city and look down upon spectacular views. Yeah, that'd be fun for you, wouldn't it, Dave? Oh, you know how much I love heights. So much. And there's super flight. You can maneuver through an aerial course. Hold on tight, it says. There are also gigantic statues of Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, Iron Man, Black Panther, and the Incredible Hawk that you can you can take pictures with. And you can journey through the Golden Age of comic books via radio and television broadcasts, video games, 1940s radio scripts, and early comic book art. Okay, sounds neat. It really does, actually. It it like it genuinely sounds cool. There is uh, an exhibit called Game Time, where you can move like a piece on a giant game board through three centuries of American games, puzzles, and public amusements. You can. It has oversized toy props in it. There are treasures. You can look at historical uh, games and puzzles. You can conquer a maze in a jumble perplexus which was designed specifically for the strong it's modeled after an original 19 or i'm sorry 1889 handheld ball maze so they took like the original little handheld ball maze and they made it real life and you can you can go through it so wow there's an exhibit called one history place where you can step step into the past and experience a glimpse of life as it was a century ago there are artifacts and reproductions where you can reminisce about an era of days gone by aka we can visit my childhood 
damn it, you beat me to it. <laughs> you knew it. You knew not to I give mean, me the chance. You could role play as a teacher or student in a 19th century one room schoolhouse. The you can delight with a game of dress up with turn of the century clothes in an attic. I don't know if they still have that. My guess is with COVID, they may not let you play dress up, but who knows? Oh yeah, that's a good point. There is a exhibit for the Wegman Super Kids Market where you run the store. You can fill a grocery cart with colorful products that look real. There's a toddler organic farm. There's a cafe. There's all sorts of highly interactive store environments that offer dramatic role-playing opportunities and encourage healthy eating habits. The Market Cafe Cafe has uh, prepared meals, a sushi bar, and a coffee bar, just like the real grow-up Wegmans Market. You can also shop for organic and gluten-free products at Nature's Marketplace. I don't know about that one. I mean, we can always just go to work, you know. Hey, I, I was just going to say, this is just teaching them to uh, I know. to work. And like, is this like an actual coffee bar? So we're giving coffee to little kids here? Nah, like, this is for hold fun. On. This hold is for up. Fun. <laughs> I was going to say, because like, we, we talk about giving sugar to kids, but coffee? Woo-wee! There's a whole exhibit on Age of Empires. Oh my god. You can explore the game-changing series Age of Empires in the Suzanne and Tony Goodman Gallery. Celebrate the art, music, settings, and gameplay of Age of Empires and learn how the creators reimagined the rise of civilizations as a compelling strategy game that allowed players to grow populations, gather resources, develop technologies, and conquer rivals. That sounds cool. My goodness. What? What? Just the fact Age of Empires of all things. It's cool. I mean, it is. Don't get me wrong. I'm just that's surprising. It blends history and play, to be fair. Okay. Yeah, you got a point. I mean, so on that note, I mean, civilization, too. Ah, very true. Mm. Very true. My guess is Microsoft has more money, though. Okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. (laughs) There's a Hasbro game park. It's 17,000 square feet outdoor park. There is a 15-foot-high version of Chutes and Ladders. Do you actually get to go up and down the Chutes and Ladders? I don't know, but I want to know now. That would be cool. Uh, within the game park, um, there are unique artifacts from Magic the Gathering, Dungeons & Dragons, Ooh. Jenga, Scramble, The Game of Life, and Simon. What what a unique artifact could there be from Jenga? Just an old block? I'm guessing. Like, <laughs> And that's inside. There's also an, There's actually an outside park. It has... Um, it says once outside, stroll along a colorful path amid towering Candyland candy canes, giant Scrabble tile spelling play, and a fourteen-foot-long Scotty dog from Monopoly. Uh, I don't. Oh, okay. Never mind. I I had to think about what a Scotty dog was, but I mean the Candyland thing is pretty awesome in my opinion. Yeah, get to walk through Candyland. I agree. That would be so cool. I played this. It's not out of that game as a kid. There is an aspect called Pixel Landing. At Pixel Landing, you can come face-to-face with icons from the video game world. It has statues and artistic renderings renderings of your favorite gaming characters, such as Link, Sonic the Hedgehog, Lara Croft, Crash Bandicoot, Master Chief, or Chun-Li. Chun-Li? Like the guy from the... uh... Uh, the Pawn Show? No. Oh. Chumley. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Chumley. Jesus Christ. There's a. There, there, and they have like short term exhibits too. Like right now, they're hosting 100 years of Madame Alexander. She she founded the Madame Alexander Doll Company in 1923. So it's a short term exhibit about her dolls and her company. And the brand started you know, in 1923 and survived the great depression and kept going. There is an Alice in Wonderland doll from this brand. There's a Jacqueline Kennedy doll from this brand. One of the other short term exhibits that they have right now is called the raceway arcade. It is a history of electronic driving games. So there are playable machines. You can buy tokens. It's basically an arcade for old racing games, like old, old racing games. Um, and it, that's what it is. It's a whole arcade. It's great. It has games like, let's see, Drive Mobile from 1941. 
which is would be a mechanical driving game from the pre pre video arcade cabinet era. Okay. Um, you can see the inner workings of Chicago Coins Drive Master, another electromechanical game from the early driving era. You can play Grand Track 10, which was an Atari cabinet from 1974. You can play Daytona USA, Super Sprint, Mario Kart Arcade is there, Cruising Blast is there, Outrun from 87 is there, Cruising USA from 1994 is there. So it is just a, a little. Um, what else? Gumball Rally, Bonsai Run, Sega Hot Rod, Sega Outrun, Spy Hunter. It's just an old raceway arc race. It's a it's a whole racing exhibit of racing arcade games, which is really cool. So super, super cool. No, definitely. There's a lot of interesting things in there, although a lot of it is confusing to me because it was before my time. But you growing up with it, you know all about it. Yes. There is, speaking of things I know all about, it's really depressing that this is a um, museum exhibit, but there is a short-term exhibit called <sighs> Millennial Madness, The Toys That Shaped a Generation. Ouch. Travel back to the 1990s, the era of grunge and the rising internet to explore the toys, dolls, and video games that shaped a generation at Millennial Madness, a new display featured at the Strong's America at Play exhibit on the second floor. From Beanie Babies and Tickle Me Elmo to the Sega Genesis and Nintendo 64, learn about how these iconic playthings entertained and influenced more than 80 million kids. There are things you can do there, such as Discover how changing technologies and widespread access to the internet spurred a boom in techn technology toys like the virtual pet Tamagotchi and the interactive Furby. Uh, get caught okay. up in the get caught up in the collecting craze of the '90s with Beanie Babies and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action figures. Okay, that's kind of dope. Explore the changing face of toys and see how companies began diversifying their products with more multicultural toys, such as Mattel's Shiny Doll. Also learn about the su successes of all mech toys, golden ribbon playthings, and other black-owned toy manufacturers. Learn about the rise of environmental consciousness in the 90s and how it was reflected in toys, from environmental heroes like Captain Planet to a reimagined G.I. <laughs> Joe, who now battles eco-terrorists. I remember Captain Planet. And explore the decline of free play and how Baby Einstein's line of toys, videos, and music reflected the era's growing micromanagement of play. Tell me why I thought you, you like, when you said Baby Einstein, I was thinking Little Einsteins. And that theme song popped into my head. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but among other things that it has here, there is an aquarium. Um, there's a whole rainbow reef. You can go, like... It looks like they have a salt actual tank and then virtual there's digital aquariums. Actually, the digital aquarium is super cool. You may have seen it online somewhere because this is one where you can draw your fish on a coloring sheet and then stick it into a scanner and then it comes to life and they project it into the, the digital coral what? reef. That is so cool. What the hell? It has it has a it says gaze at sparkling freshwater fish found in tropical rivers from all over the world. The smaller tape in the exhibit is a perfect place to watch tiny reef fish and other inhabitants that might be missed in a large saltwater aquarium. Wow, that is freaking awesome. And let's see what else we have. We've got the dance lab where you could dance. There's a train in there where you can take a trip on a train. Uh imagination destination be an astronaut rescue pilot construction worker actor and more role play in inspiring spaces bursting with physical challenges like a rescue helicopter construction site rocket ship and theater jump into the captain's chair and take command of the bridge on the uss strong a futuristic spaceship replete with lights and sounds reminiscent of your favorite science fiction movies <gasps> so it's like the enterprise Yes, there's a Peanuts uh, play. You can go into the Snoopy characters. 
ooh, can I get to see the therapist? Because that might help. Oh, they have a permanent pinball music. Like, you can go play pinball. Like, it's called Pinball Playfields. That's okay. cool. Reading Adventureland. The magic of literature comes to life at the Reading Adventure Man. Become a sleuth and solve riddles in the Mystery Mansion. Play with words and rhymes in the Upside Down Nonsense House. Explore shipwreck and caves in the Adventure Island, so on and so forth. There's a lot of cool stuff here. They also have a butterfly garden, Rob. Oh, nice. But, like I said, there were other partners that were in the Strong National Museum of Play. One of the other partners is one of their permanent exhibits. It is the National Toy Hall of Fame. So that organization recognizes the contribution of toys and games that have sustained popularity for many, many years. The original inductees of the National Toy Hall of Fame were announced in November of 1999. They included toys like Barbie, Crayola Crayons, Etch-A-Sketch, Frisbees, Hula Hoops, Legos, Lincoln Logs, Monopoly Boards, Roller Skates, Teddy Bears, Yo-Yos, and Marbles. Okay. And they've, they've managed to induct other things since then. They've added bicycles, jacks, jump ropes, silly putty, Tonka trucks, G.I. Joe, kites, skateboards, playing cards, dominoes, super soakers, swing sets, Dungeons and Dragons, paper airplanes, Uno cards, and Magic the Gathering. Okay. The last class of inductees, the 2022 class, included Light Bright, Masters of the Universe, so He-Man, and uh, Spinning Tops. So just Magic the Gathering and Uno, I mean, obviously playing cards, but no like pokemon or um Yu-Gi-Oh tcg that i did not see coincidentally that is, is interesting i would not it, growing up i mean obviously i know magic was a lot bigger in the past but i feel just growing up like magic definitely took a wayside to those two so to see that in there and not the others is just shocking i'm looking Scrabble, Candyland. I mean, I didn't put everything in there. Easy Bake Ovens. Oh, okay, trains. I'm not surprised about that. Oh, Lionel Trains. I forgot all about those. Those commercials used to play all the time. The Atari 2600 is actually in this Hall of Fame. Okay. The Stick. Oh, I'm sorry. What? The Stick? In the class of 2008, they added the Stick. Curators praised the Stick for its all-purpose, no-cost recreational qualities, noting its ability to serve either as a raw material or an appendage transformed into a myriad of ways transformed by a children's creativity. I'm sorry. We're, we're literally talking like from a tree, a stick. Yes. yes like a dog, a stick that you would give a dog. Wow. The game okay. boy was, the game boy was added in 2009. Not shocking. Along with the big wheel. Okay. That's also not shocking. Hot wheels in 2011. Surprised it took that long. And a blanket for blanket forts. <laughs> okay not a specific one just a blanket it just says blanket yep uh you sure talk about michael jackson's kid nah we're not 2012 saw star wars action figures added okay 2013 chess and rubber duckies okay 2014 little green army men bubbles and a rubik's cube naturally 2015 puppets twister and super soakers of course what, what the hell is little people? Little um, people. Little we, people. We, that's what they prefer no, to be called. No, we're not doing that. Uh, little people is a toy brand for children ages six to 36 months produced by Fisher Price. It was known as the play family people in the 1960s. Okay. Well, they inducted that in 2016 alongside Dungeons and Dragons and a swing. Okay. 2017 saw the game of clue, a wiffle ball and paper airplanes. 2018 saw a Magic 8-Ball, Pinball, and the Deck of Uno cards. 2019 got Coloring Books, Magic the Gathering, and Matchbox Cars. 2020 got Baby Nancy, which was, I have no clue, probably yeah, a doll. Nope. Sidewalk Chalk and Jenga. 2021 got America's America Girls Dolls, Risk, and Sand. Sand's <laughs> in the National Toy Hall of Fame. <laughs> Oh my god. And then of course we saw 2022 got the light bright Masters of the Universe in the top. 
So wow, I am shocked that Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon did not make that, but also that blanket stick <laughs> and sand. Scrabble's in there. Rocking horses, alphabet blocks and checkers were 2003. Jigsaw puzzles in 2002 and Rag the Ann. Silly Putty. I'm just trying to wrap up some things I didn't see. Slinky, Mr. Potato Head. Um, director sets. Huh. <laughs> Hula Hoops. Play-Doh. Tinker Erector toys. set, but no connects. No connects. That's everything. Ooh. That's everything. So yeah. So you can visit and learn about all the stuff inducted to the National Toy Hall of Fame. One of the other organizations is the American Journal of Play. Uh, it houses its offices in those walls. That's a peer-reviewed interdisciplinary academic journal that covers the history, science, and culture of play. Uh, that journal includes articles, interviews, book reviews. They're all written for anyone who wants to read the, you know, the journal, like educators, scholars, game designers. So you can actually find it for free online. Go to the Strong's website. Also housed within its walls is the International Center for the History of Electronic Games. And that's why we're going to talk about this today, because there are some video game things in there. Ah. The, the International Center for the History of Electronic Games collects, studies, and interprets video games, other electronic games, and related materials, as well as the ways in which electronic games are changing how people play, learn, and connect with each other, including across boundaries of culture and geography. It is one of the world's largest, most comprehensive collections of electronic game platforms, games, and related materials. It has a little over 37,000 items in it at the moment of electronic games. It's the only one that is linked directly with other collections of more than 100,000 board and role-playing games, toys, and other artifacts of play that have inspired and informed the creation and development of said electronic games. Wow. So it's a research library. It also includes 130,000 volumes of vintage comics and children's books. It is the largest collection of toy catalogs in the, in the whole United States. That's crazy. The collections there include, like I said, video games, game platforms, which are consoles, packing and advertising of games, publications, electronic game inspired consumer products like, you know, statues and all that little collector shit that they, they come with collectors things and all the merchandise they sell afterwards. Um, they keep personal and business papers of key figures in the electronic game industry so they keep like notes and journals of all these like key figures. A lot of the people we talk about, they've saved their stuff. So we, we have it all for posterity. Um, they keep literary and other inspirations of electronic game imagery and content. So like, you know, they write books for just about every one of your favorite game series. Those are in this collection now. Um, and they also have um, basically various artifacts and documents that help illustrate the impact that electronic games have on people's lives so it's the most comprehensive collection of what we do day in and day out in like a single place rob that is insane it's cool isn't it no it's it's extremely cool i didn't know that that existed at all and i mean the things that i'm sure you could find there i know i know and now, now, well, that if that's not cool enough, why I really picked this for today. We've talked about it multiple times, multiple episodes. We've done episodes on some of the games that are found here at the World Video Game Hall of Fame. That's what that's what the strong has. We've never really delved into what the what it is, so I figured that we could learn about the strong and learn about what exactly the World Video Game Hall of Fame actually is. So the World Video Game Hall of Fame opened on June 4th, 2015. You can find it in a dedicated part of the Museum of Play. It's called ESL Digital Worlds. ESL is just a sponsor, the ESL Federal Credit Union, a.k.a. the Eastman Savings and Loan Credit Union, 
which was founded by George Eastman himself. Mm. So video games become eligible for the World Video Game Hall of Fame by meeting four criteria, Rob. Number one, it has to have icon status, meaning that it's widely recognized and remembered. Number two, it has to, ha- has to have longevity, meaning that it uh, the game is more than a passing fad and it has enjoyed popularity over time. Number three, it has to have geographical reach, meaning that it needs to meet the above criteria of icon status and longevity across international boundaries. And number four, it has to have influence, meaning that it has exerted significant influence on the design and development of other games, other forms of entertainment, or on popular culture and society in general. Pretty cool, huh? Definitely. Initial nominations are made each year by a staff committee at the Strong, which they take into account all four criteria. Influence is probably the most important, according to the criteria. But members of the public can submit games to the committee as well for consideration. And then the nominees are voted on by a panel of around 30 scholars and journalists from around the world, with each panel member ranking their top three choices. A public poll is also included. The public pl- the results of the public poll uh, count as the equivalent of one member of the panel, which is kind of neat. Definitely, um, I mean, and good, these good voting are system. and 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 we've talked about before. I think that Sid Meier was once, um, you know, was on the initial uh, group of people that voted the first inductees into the Hall of Fame. So when I say scholars and journalists, it's game publishers and game developers, people who have a lot of notoriety and clout in the gaming industry get to get to vote on this. So like Ninja or (laughs) PewDiePie. Oh, yeah, sure. Sure. We'll go with that. Ninja definitely gets a vote. I didn't actually look. I'm probably going to look and he probably does get a vote. I would. I mean, he's pretty influential, man. Yeah, we're going to. He was. I guess I don't know now. After voting happens, the staff committee reviews the votes and they make a final selection. So while generally generally there is a clear difference in vote counts for the highest scoring games, if there are multiple games with similar vote counts near the cutoff, like like there's a cutoff point they set, the committee will make a decision by emphasizing a variety of game types or platforms. And they'll just, you know, if a game doesn't get voted in, it's still eligible to get nominated and voted in another year. So there are games that don't get inducted that, you know, get nominated in multiple years. The World Video Game Hall of Fame has been open for nine years. There have been 74 nominated games and 40 of them have been inducted into the Hall of Fame. Many of those were not nominated the first time. Also, you should know that in some cases, they will list the first game in a series as a proxy for the whole series. So like, the Oregon Trail. They're not going to vote on each version of it individually. You know what I mean? Okay, so it's as a whole. Gotcha. Or, or FIFA. That is, or John Madden Football. That is unless there's a specific iteration of the game that's special in itself. And we'll cover that in a second because there are individual ones that don't, that, that will make sense. So. so 2015 was the first year. 15 titles were nominated. Those titles were Doom, Pac-Man, Pong, Super Mario Brothers, Tetris, World of Warcraft, Angry Birds, FIFA, The Legend of Zelda, Zelda, Minecraft, The Oregon Trail, Pokemon Red and Blue, The Sims, Sonic the Hedgehog, and Space Invaders. What the fuck do you choose from those, you know? That's a hard-ass choice, man. So that first year they inducted Doom, the first class, Doom, Pac-Man, Pong, Super Mario Brothers, Tetris, and the World of Warcraft. Of those, The Legend of Zelda, The Oregon Trail, The Sims, and Space Invaders came back the following year and were inducted. So they were 2016 inductees. The ones in 2016 that weren't inducted included Elite, uh, The Nurburgring, Street Fighter II, Tomb Raider, and Sid Meier's Civilization. In 2017, Pokemon Red and Green, Street Fighter 2, Donkey Kong, and Halo were inducted. That year, they rejected Microsoft Solitaire, <laughs> Mortal Kombat, Portal, and Resident Evil, oh. among others. 
2018, Final Fantasy VII. That's one of the ones I was talking about. Final Fantasy VII, John Madden Football, Tomb Raider, and Space War were inducted into the Hall of Fame. Call of Duty, Half-Life, Metroid, and Dance Dance Revolution were left on the outside looking in. Damn. Poor DDR. I know. In 2019, Microsoft Solitaire was finally recognized for its contributions to destroying productivity in offices everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's be honest. That's so yeah. true. Yeah. We also inducted the Colossal Cave Adventure, Mortal Kombat, and Super Mario Kart that year. Uh, we left out Candy Crush, Civilization, Mist, Smash Brother, and Smash Brothers Melee. 2020 saw Bejeweled, Centipede, King's Quest, and Minecraft finally get in. Ugh. We left out GoldenEye 007, Guitar Hero, Nokia Snake, and Frogger. Man, poor Guitar Hero. Poor Nokia Snake. Nah, I mean, it's a cool game, but I mean, come on. In 2021, the class of inductees included Animal Crossing, Microsoft Flight Simulator, StarCraft, and Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? Hmm. That year, we left out Farmville. We left out Call of Duty. Damn, Farmville. Left, I know, right? We left out Pole Position. And we left out Portal. Nah, I most heard about Farmville on that one. Absolutely. 2022 finally saw the inclusion of Sid Meier's Civilization, Dance Dance Revolution, The Woo! Legend of Zelda Oc Ocarina of Time. Wow. And Mrs. Pac-Man. I'm surprised Ocarina of Time took so long. Yep. Assassin's Creed, Minesweeper, Parappa the Rappa, Wars with Friends, and Rogue were all left out in 2022. Oh, boo. That, they're lucky they didn't have me on that committee because Parappa the Rappa would have had it for show. I know. That brings us to the class of 2023. This year, they inducted Barbie Fashion Designer, Computer Space, The Last of Us, and Wii Sports. Care to discuss? That'll make sense, right? I mean... I, mm, I mm. spit it out. The Last of Us was a great game. Okay. That that's it. Oh, we're we're gonna glance over Barbie fashion designer, are we? I mean, I, Dave, I know it's your favorite game, but I, I I just don't know anything about it. I'm assuming you make clothing choices, but it's really more your alley than mine. So you can tell the people about it because I'm sure Thank that you. You're, you're probably the number one voter on that. One hundred percent. I totally. I, I I nominated it. I started a campaign to get people on the internet to nominate it, and I pushed very heavily for its inclusion. So, with that being said, why do you think we pushed so hard for Babby Bar Babby Barbie fashion designer? Um, I'm going to assume it has something to do with the movie coming out. Nope. Oh. It, nope. It actually has. Oh. It actually has significance as a video game. Did it predict that the world will end in 2023? No, I don't think so. I haven't played it that. No, I don't think so. Well, I, I, I'm shot. I'm stumped. Stumped, Dave. You need to help me out here. Barbie fashion designer was the first commercial, commercially successful video game designed for girls. Okay. I mean, fair enough. It's that simple. That I mean, that's, that's a damn good reason. I wouldn't have guessed that. <laughs> The games that were left out this year, Age of Empires, Angry Birds, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, FIFA International Soccer, GoldenEye 007, NBA 2K, Quake, and Wizardry. Okay, let's be honest, though. Did Age of Empires really get left out? The whole thing, it has its own goddamn exhibit. It does. I, so, I, like... I, I want to <laughs> see that one. Yeah, I know. I know. But that's it, man. That's the strong. That that's, is that's an educational institution found in Rochester, New York. That that definitely sounds like a place that I am going to have to visit. So, like, I hope that my friends with kids that listen to the podcast know, like, hey, we're taking a trip to Rochester for the kids. <laughs> and I totally mean that it's actually for us. But like, it'll be less weird if we have the kids with us. It will absolutely be less weird if we have the kids. Rob, there were a lot of games that are inducted into the World Video Game Hall of Fame 
that we've done entire episodes on, you know? Quite a few, Dave. I I was I surprised mean, at the number a of lots, them. A lot, a lot. And so with each of those, I mean, you can learn a very detailed history of those specific video games. Games like, what have we done? Computer Space, StarCraft, uh, Animal Crossing, uh, Civilization, Smash Brothers, Mortal Kombat, Super Mario Kart, Colossal Cave Adventure, Space War, Resident Evil, Pokemon, Donkey Kong, Elite. Good Lord. Oregon Trail we did one on. The Sims we did one on. Doom. Pac-Man. We've done a Wizardry. lot of Tetris. We did a whole Wizardry, Tetris. We've done like a whole, we've done a lot of these. Sonic the Hedgehog. You could learn a whole lot by going to our old episodes on any of these video games. And you can, of course, find our old episodes on our website at www.memorycardlane.com. Rob, what else can people find on our website? Well, also on our website, Dave, people can find calendars of upcoming episodes. Maybe give us a little bit of input on some knowledge you have about what we're going to talk about. You can find links to things such as our discord where you can hang out with Dave and I, or tell Dave how he's wrong in every episode and what he was wrong about. Cause that happens often. Uh, you can yeah. find links to our Patreon. Thank you to our subscriber. Uh, and you can find things that are links like to our places of social media gathering, such as me who can be found on multiple platforms as Rob underscore O underscore Raptor and David. You can find me on multiple platforms as David is wrong. Well, each week we tell you a story about one thing relevant to the current week in gaming history, game console technology. This week we picked a museum that contains the video game hall of fame. We tell you these stories because we want to teach you something new about said topic what they take from the world as their inspiration or what they give back to the world in their legacies. This one kind of collects the legacies. One of the best parts about doing this up, this podcast, these episodes is as we do our research for all these topics, we learn, we get to learn things and then we get to teach you things. And as we teach, we learn in recognition of this cycle that we're really fond of. We like to go around each week and tell you what we took away from each episode. So Rob, what did you learn today? Well, Dave, everything. I, I learned so much. Uh, I, I had no idea the Strong Museum was a thing. Uh, it's a pretty incredible sounding place. But I think that my favorite part of all of this has to be sand, stick, and blanket. Sand, stick, and blanket. God damn it. Incredible. The ingenuity. But god damn it, man. <laughs> that is great. Uh, so many good facts, though. I mean, the fact this is started by the Kodak company, essentially, because of funding and just it, it's all around an incredible story and definitely something that I know now is a place I have to visit in the future. So that that's it for me. What, what, what was your big takeaway, Dave? I would love to visit this as well. I didn't know anything about the strong. I knew all about the video game Hall of Fame, but I didn't know about the building it was housed in. It sounds like a fantastic museum that I would like to visit. I'm going to add the Indianapolis Children's Museum to my list now because that sounds like a fantastic museum too. But we really have to steal someone's child to go to either place. Kind of like how I take my nephew to go to Chuck E. Cheese's on the weekends. Um, well, there you go, Dave. You already got someone in mind. I'd have someone in mind. Yeah, no, these. this was fun. This is fun. I also didn't know that that it the Strong was founded by the single largest individual stockholder in Kodak stock. That's a little fascinating fact. That's one of those like random trivia facts that will pop up somewhere in your life that you'll be like, holy crap, I know the answer to that. Well, maybe if you go to trivia night, Dave. Maybe if you go to trivia night, which I do. So sometimes. All right. Well, that does it for the strong. And before I take it out into next week, Rob, would you like to add anything to today's episode? Sure thing, Dave. As always, I do want to take one quick moment to say thank you to so much. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. It means the world to us that you spend this little bit of time with us and learn about the things that we teach you about. And I, by that, I mean Dave teaches you and Rob just makes some quirky comments here and there. Uh, 
it's a lot of fun and we hope that you enjoy it too so let us know and enjoy next week rob we're gonna look at a book what what, a book yeah we're gonna look at a book we're once again not doing video games i've decided to make this not a video game podcast anymore oh this is weird i know what what's what's the book dave Okay, I lied. We're going to look at video games, but we're going to look at video games that are based on a book. Okay, we're getting closer. So we're going to look at we're going to look the at author? video games. We're going to Mary Shelley. Oh, come on. That's an easy one, Dave. We're going to be looking at things to do with Frankenstein's monster. We are going to be looking at things to do with Frankenstein's monster. Dr. Frankenstein and his monster. That is the topic for next week. We're going to learn all about Mary Shelley. We're going to learn all about Frankenstein, the novel. And we're going to look at how that, uh, how Frankenstein has been portrayed in video games and how his cultural influence has spread throughout video games throughout history. So join us. uh, How are we going to do this? So join us again next week as we put the pieces together on yet another trip down memory card lane (laughs) to the thing. Doobie doo doom dup 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 doobie doop da.